Okay, good morning, gentlemen. So we are ready. Today we're going to do the Ten Commandments. No introductions, going straight to the Ten Commandments. When I taught the Ten Commandments in Torah and Zipped, it was four classes, four hour-long classes when we uh, did it then. So we'll uh, try to stay focused on just going through all of them. And then there's also the end of the parsha we'll do as well. So the first of the Ten Commandments is Anochi Hashem Elokecha, right? I am Hashem, your God. Asher who took you out of the land of Egypt, the base Avadim from the house of slaves. So, of course, there's 4,000 commentaries and things you can say on this verse. I'll just say like two or three. Number one is that you will notice that the very first word of the Ten Commandments is not a Hebrew word. The very first word of the Ten Commandments, Anochi, is an Egyptian word. How do you say I in Hebrew? Ani. So, isn't it fascinating that the very opening word of no, you can't say one part of the Torah is more important than another, but seemingly the most important part of the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the very first word that we're hearing directly from the word of from the mouth of God is not Ani Hashem Elokecha. I am Hashem your God in Hebrew, but Anochi, I am Hashem in Egyptian. Why would God introduce himself in the not, not in the holy language of Hebrew? If God would say reveal himself only in Hebrew, so we could think. We could have the idea that there's God in the Hebrew reality, and then there's the mundane reality, the separate reality. And we still would have this idea that there's a separation between God and holiness on one side, and the world, and Egypt, and the other languages of the world on the other side. By God beginning the Ten Commandments with Egyptian, God was showing how his divine revelation, not only that, in himself, the eye of God, the essence of God that has no name, not the names of God. The names of God are revelations of God. But that the eye of God, the essence of God, is in every single aspect of the world, down to the most mundane, physical, seemingly unholy aspect of the universe, the language of Egypt, which Egyptian culture was a terribly depraved, evil culture, that even in Egypt is the Anochi, is the eye of Hashem. Continuing, who am I? Hashem Elokecha. There's seven names of God, but these are the most two famous names of God. The name of yud Hey vav Hey, the name of God's uh, omnipotence and his greatness and his not being limited by the times and constraints of nature. Right? yud Hey vav Hey, those four letters, they spell out the words Haya, which means past, Hova, which means present, and Yiyah, which means future. God is past, present, future all at once, transcendent. It's the name of God's compassion. It expresses the Rachamim of Hashem, and Elohim is the name of concealment. It's judgment, but it's also the name of concealment. Judgment means tzimtzum, concealment. The, the name of God that is concealed within nature is Elohim. In fact, the Hebrew word for hateva, for nature, is 76, numerical value of every letter. So the numerical value of the word for nature in Hebrew is 76. And the numerical value of the name Elohim, it's spelled with a hey, not with a kuf, is 76. So you have the name of Yudhei, Vavhei, Ho Yehovah, Yiyeh, past, present, future as one. And you have the name of Elohim, which is the name of God, which is concealed in Hateva, in nature, in the natural, normal order and functioning of the universe. And seemingly they're opposites. You have the name of Yudki Vavki, which is the name of Rachamim, and the name of Elohim, which is Givura, of, of, of judgment. One was a God by, uh, you know, seems like different things. Says God, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. The same I that's Hashem is the same I that's Elokim. It is I. 
I am the God that transcends. I am the God that is in nature. It's all different aspects of, of me. Who am I? I am the God who took you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slaves. Now you'll notice that he does not say, I'm the God who created the universe. Or I'm the God who uh, you know, made, a, made man who created you. He says something which is specific to the Jewish people that they could relate to, that I took you out of Egypt. It's not about what I did for your great-great-grandfather you know, 2,000 years ago when I created man. It's not what I did the, create, you know, that I created the universe. I am your God that took you out of Egypt. I am yours. I am your God. You're Hashem. I have a relationship with you. I care about you. I redeemed you from Egypt in order that you should in turn be a slave to me, to dedicate your life to the worship of me and not to be distracted by the other idols of the world that we very easily get distracted by. Last, last, last thing, and then we move on. You'll notice that it's in singular. Even though God is speaking to millions of Jews at this moment, we know that every single Jew is at Mount Sinai. Not only the Jews that were alive at the time, but even the souls of the unborn Jews were all at Mount Sinai. And yet when God is speaking, he does not say, Anochi Hashem Elokeichem. I am the God, your God in the plural tense. He's speaking in the singular tense. Because the same idea, just like God is saying, I took you out of Egypt. God is using something that we could relate to. So to hear God is saying to each and every single Jew, I am Hashem, your God. You, me and you have a personal one-on-one relationship. I'm not just the God of the Jewish people. I'm your God. I have a relationship with you. I care about you. Okay. So, because I took you out of Egypt, because I am your God, therefore commandment number two is, You shall not have any other gods in front of me. As long as I exist, wherever I may be, which is everywhere, even in secret, even in your bedroom, even when you think nobody's looking, I'm there too. And therefore, you shall have no other gods. You must not make yourself a sculpted image or any other likeness of anything in the heavens above or the earth below, or in the, excuse me, in the water, etc. So you cannot make for yourself any of these statues and any of these idols. In addition, even if someone else makes them, they belong to somebody else, you cannot bow down to them. You cannot worship. So you cannot bow down to them is in any form, even if you're not worshiping them. You cannot worship them, even if you're not bowing down to them. There's other forms of idol worship that don't require prostrating yourself on the ground. You cannot uh, worship them in whatever way they are worshipped, because I am Hashem, your God. I am a jealous God, meaning that when you, I care about you very much because I'm in a relationship with you and you are my people. Therefore, I will be careful to make sure that you remain loyal to me and not to get distracted by other gods. Even though I will remember the sins of those who sin up to the third and fourth generation if you worship idols, in contrast, I am a God who shows kindness for at least 2,000 generations to those who love me. So here you see how great is God's attribute of kindness over God's attribute of punishment. And for punishment, God only punishes up to three or four generations. But to give reward, that God holds for a person up to 2,000 generations. Going on to commandment number three. You shall not swear by the name of your God in vain. What does an oath in vain mean? It's not an oath, it's a lie. An oath that's a lie is a lie. Here we're talking about an oath, which is lashav. Lashav means to make an oath about a tree that it's a rock. 
or to make an oath that uh, the sky is blue. So these are different kinds of oaths that are lashav, either an oath which is blatantly, obviously false, or an oath that is true, but it's, it's, it's stupidly true. Yeah, the sky is blue. Congratulations. You know what I'm saying? That's not an oath. This is just taking God's name and using it in vain. God will not forgive. He will not absolve anyone who swears by his name in vain. This is something very important that people are very not careful about. People say, OMG, when they spell it out, you know, they, they use God's name in an unholy context, not in the evil context. That's the point. It's not that they're using it as a lie, which is sort of falsely. They're just taking a holy name of God and profaning it by using it in very, very mundane, you know, uh, settings that are not befitting for the appreciation of the sanctity and the holiness of God's name. We only use Hashem's name in, in a holy way. Aside for not saying in English, like OMG, whatever, things like that, we also are careful not to use God's name in Hebrew even, to make a blessing. We don't say the name of God because it's holy, because God protects the value of His name. That's how God expresses Himself in the world. We don't even say a blessing. Not only God's name, even a blessing, unless we're actually doing what the blessing is for. To just say a blessing is, again, showing a lack of appreciation for the holiness of God's name, and therefore that is one of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number four. Zachar es yom hashabbos lekadshah. Remember the day of Shabbos in order to keep it holy, to sanctify it. So there's two aspects to Shabbos. When the Torah, when the Ten Commandments are repeated later on by Moshe in the book of Dvarim, there it says, Shamor Asyom HaShabbos. So we have two aspects. We have the Zachar, which is the remembering of Shabbos, and the guarding of Shabbos. So the remembering of Shabbos, which is what's being mentioned over here in our parasha, is all of the things we do to make the day special. We look forward to Shabbos. We anticipate Shabbos. Even during the week, we start to prepare ourselves for Shabbos and we see a good piece of meat, a good delicacy, a special treat. Oh, let me say it as a dessert for Shabbos. We get dressed before Shabbos. We wash ourselves. We get dressed in special Shabbos clothing, the Kiddush. All of this is forms of remembering the holiness of Shabbos to prepare for it in order to make it holy. The make it holy is the Kiddush that we make on Friday night. Six days you shall work. For six days you do all of your work that needs to be done. Work. The Torah is telling you six days you shall work. However, comes Yom HaShvi'i, comes the seventh day. That is Shabbos L'Hashem Adekecha. This is a day of rest to Hashem, your God. And now on Shabbos, you should not do any work. Melacha. And the definition of the Hebrew word here is Losasa called Melacha. You should not do anything which is a form of creative uh, your influence in the universe. It does not say not, do not do avoda. Avoda would be hard labor. It doesn't say don't do avoda. Six days, to six days, tavod. Six days you shall do labor, you shall toil. But on Shabbos, you can't even do melacha. Anything which will create is considered a form of melacha. So, how do we know what's considered a form of melacha? The rabbis of the Talmud learned it out for the 39 acts of Malacha, either based on the, that which was done to build the Mishkan, or that which is done called Siduri de Pita, which is the order of how you grow bread from when you uh, start planting, etc. These acts are considered creative. So if you pour water on the ground, for example, you really did anything. You were just spilling out your cup of water. You had extra water. You were walking. You don't want it. You spilled it. That's a form of creation because you're watering the grass. If you flip a light switch, and now you're creating an electrical current that wasn't there before. <laughs> you didn't work very hard, 
You know, just flip the light switch. It's not avoda, but it's a form of malachat, a form of creation of something new because you made a new electrical current. You just pour water in the grass. You just cut a branch or whatever, and now you made a new entity that is now something separated. You harvested, and so therefore that would all be. Uh, there's 39 different forms of malacha. I'm not going to get into now, obviously, but that's the definition of malacha. You and your sons and your daughters and your servants and your maids and your animals and the convert in your gate. All, the doesn't mean convert, convert. It means a resident alien, the person who accepted the seven wide laws and lives in the land of Israel under the rule of the Jews. All of them are warned on you not to make them work for you on Shabbos. So here we have something amazing. In the secular world, you had a slave. Yeah, of course, you made him work seven days a week, nonstop. Says Torah, not only do you have to rest, everything that you own should rest. Your mind should be at rest. Therefore, your animals should not be working for you on Shabbos. Your slaves, not Jews, they should not be working for you on Shabbos. Your children that don't yet have the prohibition of doing work on Shabbos, they're still little kids. They should not be doing work on Shabbos. In your mind, anyone that was for you, you're not even allowed to have, you, you can't say, some people say, I won't work. My company is going. My workers are working for me. They're working for you. You're still working. You're not a day of rest for Shabbos. That's why it says, six days you shall work. You shall do all of your work, says Rashi, that in your mind, it should be like all of your work is done. Could you finish all your work on Friday, by Friday? Very often we have unfinished business by Friday afternoon. But in your mind, when Shabbos comes in, even though you have open uh projects open invoices you're behind on your whatever the issue is comes in shabbos all of my work is as if it's done my head is free to be a day of rest for hashem why do we need to rest on the day of shabbos why do we need to make it a day where our mind is free from all of the stress of the six days of work it says the torah because in six days God made the heavens and the earth and the ocean and everything and thought within them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because God rested on the seventh day, therefore he blessed that day. And he sanctified that day. What did he bless the day? He blessed it on Friday. We get a double portion of man, of bread from heaven on Friday, to sustain us through Shabbos. And he sanctified the day by making it a holy day that there will be no bread coming down on Shabbos. Here's another very important message. Some people are afraid if I don't work on Shabbos, how will I have income? How will I have parnasa? How will I survive? Says the Torah that God blesses the day of Shabbos. Any money that you spend on Shabbos, you get during the week. Any money you think you're going to lose, Hashem gives you during the week. He blesses the day of Shabbos. So, so whatever, you, whatever you think you're going to lose and not working on Shabbos, you already made that money up in whatever money you earned during the six days of the week. Any money you spend on the food of Shabbos, extra food, extra clothing, extra whatever you do to honor the day of Shabbos, God gives you that money. It is not, in fact, it says in the Gemara that the money a person spends on the food of Shabbos is not counted in the amount of money that God decided you will make at the beginning of the year. On Rosh Hashanah, God decides for every person how much they'll make that year. What you spend on Shabbos is not included in that cheshbon, in that calculation. Because God blesses the day of Shabbos, and whatever you need for Shabbos, God will give you in addition and above to what you're destined to make. When you sanctify that day, that whatever you do think you're going to make money on Shabbos, you won't get any blessing from that money on Shabbos. That money is, is a sanctified day, and the person doesn't make, uh, you can't make money working on Shabbos. You know that the first five commandments 
are about between us and God. They're all betrothed that are between Adam, Lamaka, between us, man, us and our Creator. And the second set of five commandments, which are either on two tablets, right? Even though there's ten commandments, there's five on one tablet, five on the second. The second five are between Adam, Lachavero, between man and his friend. So why is honoring your parents included on the first tablet of honoring of between us and man, between us and God, sorry? Seemingly, honoring your parents is a mitzvah between you and another human being. Not between you and God. Right? So really, honoring your parents should be on the tablet that has the human interaction mitzvah, not on the divine, godly interaction mitzvah. And yet we know, understand the question? If, if one tablet is between us and God and the other between us and man, how does honoring your parents end up on the first set of the first tablets with the other commandments of honor your God, of, of, I'm Hashem your God, keep the Shabbos. So we know that a child is born because of three partners in creation, right? The father, the mother, and God. So by honoring your parents, you're not just honoring your parents. You're honoring God that is a part of the creation of the human being. And the fact that your parents are able to give birth to you is because God entrusted them and felt confident being partners with them in creating you, which is pretty cool. And therefore, since God trusted your parents to be the ones who would give birth to you and who would raise you and educate you, etc., therefore, honoring your parents, not just honoring your parents, as a, it's not just a nice thing because they fed me when I was little and when they changed my diapers and they paid for my school. So therefore, I'm going to be, you know, be, it's only menschlich, it's only decent, decency to be nice to them because they were nice to me. That's not the mitzvah. They're partners with God in creation. They deserve the same respect you give God. You have to give them. And not only your parents, but it says, Kabeid es avicha. The es imecha. What does the word es mean? Et. What does es mean in Hebrew? Nothing really. It's an, it's an empty word. It means the. But in Hebrew, you can write the word, Kabeid avicha v'imecha, will be just as grammatically correct. Correct? You can say, Kabeid avicha, honor your father and your mother. The the, honor the father and the, the word ed doesn't really fit in there. So what is it? Every time when the Torah uses the word es, it's always including something. No word in the Torah is extra. That's impossible. Every word in the Torah has a, has a message, has a meaning, has a significance. So what's the significance of the word es, avicha, and the, your father, and your mother? Comes to include the wife of your father and the husband of your mother. So let's say your father remarried. Now he's married to your stepmother, who is not God's partner in creating you. Kabed es avich includes even the wife of your father. You have to honor her as well because she is your father's wife. The es imecha and your mother, meaning even the husband of your mother, who is not your natural biological father, in order to lengthen the days on the land that Hashem has given to you. Commandment number six: Lo sirtzach, you shall not murder. Of course, it's important to point out that murder does not mean you shall not kill. There are times when it is needed to kill. A person comes to kill you, says the Torah, you should rise up in self-defense and kill him first. Killing in self-defense is actually a commandment of the Torah. There's times when the based in the Jewish court is obligated to put to death someone that has committed a crime because if you don't kill those who commit crimes, then uh, they only get worse, as we see is happening in society today. So therefore, the Torah is saying, don't murder. Murder is not the same thing as putting someone to death. The seventh uh, commandment, lotinaf, you shall not 
quote, commit adultery, which the word lotinaf is not just adultery between a married man and a married woman, but it also comes to include any form of erva, any form of forbidden uh, sexual relationships that are all forbidden by the Torah are included in los enough uh, not to um, not to commit adultery. Interesting, the word los enough is four Hebrew letters. Taf nun alefei. If you divide it in half, you have two words. Ten af. When, which what does ten af mean? To give anger. Ten to give af is anger. When a person is seen off, when a person is involved in sexual uh, immorality and uh, depraved behavior and committing adultery and uh, sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping with, that is ten af. That is, puts anger of God into the world and separates husband and wife, which makes God very upset. So low ten af, don't put God's anger into the world with immorality. Commandment number eight, low signov, do not steal. Now, when it says here in the Torah, the Ten Commandments, don't steal, does not mean don't steal money, because the Torah elsewhere explicitly commands us not to steal money. So rather, what does it mean here, don't steal? Don't steal people, meaning not to kidnap. To kidnap a person, that is considered a violation of one of the Ten Commandments. And for kidnapping a person, you would be put to death, just like you'd be put to death for adultery and for murder. This For stealing, you don't get put to death. You pay back restitution and the fine. But here we're not talking about money. We're talking about stealing a person for which a person would be put to death. Next commandment, number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your fellow man. Here comes the prohibition of lying, specifically in court under oath, not to testify falsely against your friend in court and to say a lie about him. And finally, commandment number 10, do not be jealous, do not desire, do not covet after the house of your wife, your house of your wife, the wife, the house of your friend, or the wife of your friend, of his abde, of his servant, of his uh, maid, of his donkey, of his ox, today be of his Tesla, of his, uh, you know, of his, uh, of his yacht. Don't be jealous. The whole asher of anything that belongs to your friend, don't be jealous of him. Why should you not be jealous? So here, there's some beautiful explanations on this commandment. Why should you not be jealous? Because it's all part of what God gave to your friend. Don't be jealous of his wife, of his donkey, of his cow, of his, of his yacht, of his money, of his uh, brains, of his talents. Why should you not be jealous? Because this is Asher L'Riachah. This is what God gave to your friend for his mission in the world. So God gave him what he needs for his mission. And God gave you what you need for your mission. So accept your mission, you won't be jealous. And then there's another very beautiful uh, uh, teaching on this verse. Mm-hmm. Don't be jealous of your friend, of his wife, of his servant. Why not? Because it all comes as a package deal. So if you want your friend, you're jealous, your friend has a beautiful wife. Your friend has a beautiful uh, cow or a beautiful car. Or beautiful, he's a big bank account. He owns 15 investment properties and all that. But guess what? He also has behind closed doors, you may have a child that uh, he doesn't sleep on that. He may be having a lot of marital issues. He may be dealing with health issues. He may be dealing, you never know what is the package deal, what kind of stress, what he's dealing with for that which you think you're jealous of. Don't judge and don't get jealous because it's all part of the whole. It's all part of everything that God gives to that person and we don't know everything God gave that person. We only know what we see in the driveway. We don't know what's going on behind the uh, front door. And then those are the Ten Commandments. 
after we'll finish the parsha, says the Torah, after that, all of the nations saw the kolos. They all saw the thunder. And the lightning, they saw that which was seen. They saw that which normally heard. They saw the, the thunder. They heard the lightning. And they uh, heard the sound of the shofar. They got stronger and stronger. They saw the smoke coming out of the, uh, out of the uh, mountaintop. And the nation was shaking. And they stood back at a great distance. Let me step back at a great distance. Tells us the Gemara that when they heard God saying, I am Hashem, your God, they were so overwhelmed and blown away by this tremendous divine revelation, they literally flew back. Their bodies flew, their souls left their bodies, and their bodies flew back 12 mil, which is like uh, 7.2 miles, according to here. They flew way back. <laughs> and then the angels came, and they revived them, and they comforted them, and said, don't worry, come back. They came back, and then they heard God say, Lo yielacha, you shall have no other gods besides for me. Bam, again, they flew backwards, their body, they were trembling, they stood from a great distance. And that's when they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, okay, next verse, verse 16. Yomru Moshe, they said to Moshe, Daber ata imanu, you speak to God, and we will hear God's words from you, but let not God speak with us directly anymore, penumus lest we die. Meaning, we can't handle this. Yeah, we wanted to hear it directly from God, but it's too much for us. We can't. So you hear the commandments. We know that God is real. We saw God uh, directly. We heard the first two. That's enough. You tell the rest of us, and uh, that'll be fine. And Moshe says to the people, don't be afraid. For God came in order to raise you up in esteem from the other nations, in order that you should be imbued with the awe of God, with the Yiras Hashem, with the awe of Hashem. Now that you saw him directly, you will be protected, you will not sin. And therefore, you already experienced it. In fact, we know that the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, is the basis of each one of the 248 positive commandments in the Torah. The Jews heard, you shall have no other God besides for me. That's the basis of all of the uh, 365 negative commandments in the Torah. And therefore, he says to the Jewish people, you already got it. And God agrees. They stood at a distance. Moshe went up into the cloud. And there God uh, gave Moshe the Torah. And after he tells them a few short commandments, says, don't make any other gods of gold and silver. Even though he already told them the Ten Commandments not to make any statutes and gods, right? But here he's saying you're going to learn about the Keruvim, the Sherubs. I'll be on top of the golden uh, ark in the, in the temple. Don't imitate that. That's a one-time deal. You cannot make any other idols anywhere else. You shall make an Mizbeach for me. If you're worried, how will you be able to atone for sins? I'm so great and you're so afraid of sinning being punished, you can make a mizbeach, an altar for me, where there when you put on the earth, you can come there and offer offerings, and there you can reconnect with me, and I will bless you, my presence will rest upon you, but this altar you make for me, it should be made uh, with stones, you should not use any metal, a sword, that's used for killing, to cut the stones, and when you go up the altar, there should not be steps going up to the altar, whereby a Kohen, when he's walking, they're wearing these like long tunics, will lift his legs to walk up the steps, his more private parts of his body will be exposed. Rather, should make a ramp so that when the person walks up to the altar, he can walk in the way that his nakedness will not be exposed over it. 